When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get in zone. AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Castrol Edge can help your engine get more miles. Right now, you can get five quarts with an STP Extended Life oil filter for only $36.99. Get started on your next job today with the parts you need when you need them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we have multiple things to discuss over the course of this program related to the New York Giants, but also multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can find us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com. Com slash podcast. So last night was NFL honors and Brian Dable victorious as AP NFL coach of the year. And I want to read a few facts, some that I think will intrigue you, Paul, because I went back into the archives. So I'm going to you bring did. up some names from back in the day that you're going to like. You're going to start with Allie Sherman? Well, that was going to be one of the names there you that was go. going to be brought up. I love Allie. So, first of all, Dable is the first Giants head coach to win the award since the late Jim Fossil in 1997. Mm -hmm. He also joins Dan Reeves, who won the award in 1993, Bill Parcells, 1986, and Allie Sherman, 1961 and 1962. Sherman did it in back-to-back years. Dable also, first coach who guided the team for a full season to win the award with less than 10 wins since Jimmy Johnson in 1990. When he was in the early stages of his Cowboys tenure, they went 7-9. and nine. Bruce Arians, if you recall, he won the award in 2012, but Arians did not coach the team for the full season. He right. took over Chuck Pagano, who had to undergo treatment for leukemia. Arians was 9-3, and three, but that to me does not count. So Dable, interestingly, breaking a trend that we have seen for multiple decades. Here's another interesting tidbit as I was digging into the archives. Please. Dable, Fossil, Parcells, and Sherman all have at least one tie on their resume as Giants head coach. Dable, Fossil, and Sherman coached a game that ended in a tie the years they won the award. Parcells did not. So perhaps a tie is actually a good omen for any future Giants head coach. Not that we're worried about Dable's well, security, but down the road, perhaps you should shoot once again to coach for a tie. When they tied Washington, I remember telling people, don't be upset about this. This tie is going to benefit the team. It's going to do them a hell of a lot more good than it will bad. 
And the fact remains, when the season ended, had the Giants lost that game and not tied, they would not have made the playoffs. Okay? And now, on top of that, you have this karma about the well, coach of the year. something that I too. observed. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't pick up on it. I mean, normally you're the one teaching me something about Ali Sherman. I had a college basketball game in Boston last night. Well, I mean, listen. I just got back into Newark Airport a few hours ago, okay? Oh. We knew Dable was in consideration all this time. I thought yes. maybe you would have laid it all out. You would have had your chart, Truth, okay? Truthfully, I, I did not go back into the archives for this particular event. I was hoping that Brian would win, and I thought he had a good chance, but... Um, I know that Saquon did not get the comeback player of the year, and I was very disappointed about that. Um, so he didn't no. get many votes, actually. Even if you look at the breakdown, too. So, yeah, um, you know. Instead, they gave it to somebody who was and never was. But anyway, <laughs> whatever. Why don't you tell us how you truly feel about? That I award? always do. I don't. I don't think you. But I, I'm a little. I'm on the fence. I'm not sure where you stand on the award. Can you clarify further? Because that didn't sell. To it those to of me. you who don't understand. To me, the Comeback Player of the Year award has to go to somebody who set a very high standard earlier in their career only to fall off and then come back to close to those heights in a second incarnation of his career. Well, Geno Smith never had anything even close to resembling a Pro Bowl season in the first decade of his career. Never. He had a breakout year this year. Fine. I tip my cap to him. Breakout year. But comeback by definition means you had to do it once before, and this was a second time around. He doesn't qualify in my book. Well, I want to read you because we were having a conversation off the air, and I'm sure members of our audience may have not delved into what exactly the definition of the award is. But this is the NFL definition or criteria, however you want to word it, for comeback player of the year. It goes to a player who has shown perseverance in overcoming adversity, in the form of not being in the NFL the previous year, a severe injury, or simply poor performance. So they classify multiple different elements in play. It's not just, I think the biggest misconception, and I'm not saying you're making this argument, is that it should go to somebody who was hurt the previous year. Based on that definition, that's not the case. You don't have to be hurt. Overcoming adversity, now, did Gino overcome adversity? Is there anything that he had his back against the wall specifically last season? He just season? wasn't very good. Well, I would say the adversity is he didn't have an opportunity after he left the Jets, right? He became a journeyman. He went from team to team. So that's more of a reason why maybe they should bring up a new award and they should have breakout player of the year and comeback player of the year or some other award so that you can acknowledge somebody that truly is overcoming an injury and somebody that may have gotten an opportunity for the first time in quite some time and made a name so, for themselves because Gino did apply to that logic at least. You want to go with the injury rehab player of the year. Well no you, want you to could, create you would create an award? You could leave I'm no, okay with that. Comeback player of the year is for somebody injured. Breakout player of the year okay. is maybe somebody that didn't scratch the surface or had been plugging well, away. And there's no limitation. It could be in year eight you become the breakout player of the you year. You know how I felt about this all along. I thought the nominees were ridiculous. To me, well, McCaffrey was one of the nominees. Don't to, you think he fell under that umbrella? Like yes, Saquon? yes, yes. But 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 Barkley, yeah. Even though he was banged up last year, going into this particular season, <laughs> come on, man. Nick Gates, Nick Gates, and Brian Robinson from Washington, sure. who was shot. Okay, uh, if you simply want to talk about coming back 
from horrible injury situations when the guy was healthy coming into the league, then he gets shot and then comes back to becoming a productive player. I'll I'll go with that. I think he deserved votes. Nick Gates, to me, runaway winner. Yeah. I'm, runaway I'm winner. I mean, dude, dude, seven surgeries. Thought he might lose his leg, never play again. And he starts? I mean, it, <laughs> how could you not nominate him? Well, Gates, I don't understand that. Well, Gates actually did get, I think, two votes. He not did. A high, overwhelming Group, but somebody, he did. somebody yeah. actually no. had the guts Nick to Gates, vote for him. Let me bring up the Good. breakdown. No, Good. Gates definitely did because when Who, I saw the list, ever voted for him. God bless you, my man, because that shows some class. Yeah, Gates got consideration. I'm with you. He's the textbook definition of the award from an injury standpoint. No question. He's actually he's more of a textbook definition of the award than Saquon because Saquon without played a doubt. last season. Without a doubt, if this was the year right after Saquon's torn ACL, that Gates, would be the more guy could have lost his leg. Sure. How much more do you have to come back from, people? Not a big enough name. Oh, okay. So so we're, well, we're, we're back think, to that again. Well, I do think Pearson does have a point. Come on. It is a popularity I, well, contest and that's to a what it, A lot of these awards are, Paul. I know. I, I don't think that's I know, crazy. I know. Because here's another realistic. guy. What about Brandon Graham of the Eagles? Brandon Graham tore his Achilles and had double-digit sure, sacks. Sure. I mean, you could make an argument he deserved that more than Geno Smith this year no, and I, more than some of those other guys. Geno Smith is the last person who deserved that award, okay? The last person. Shouldn't have even been on the list. That's anyway. why, once again, if they want to consider another award, I think that would be fine because you can make an argument that Geno had his standout campaign. And if they want to reward somebody, once again, breakout player of the year, and it's just maybe based on what you've done in your first five years. I'd rather give you a comeback player of the year because you're back in studio this year. <laughs> oh, thank to you. To me, that's, just, that's more justifiable than A lot of Gino adversity Smith. that I had to overcome. You did. In order to get you here. Were, yes. You were thank stuck you. On, the, the, on the remote unit because of COVID. Yes, correct. Okay, so, so I overcame COVID so is what you, you're saying. There yes. you go. Well, so you, go. you deserve the award well, more than Geno Smith I'm all does. for If you want to campaign for an award for personnel of 32 NFL teams, feel there free to go. throw my name in the hat. Okay. Feel free. I'd be more than happy to take that into consideration. Just to give you an idea, Barkley finished third, Brandon Graham fourth, Gates finished fifth. That was the breakdown. Wow. But see, the and the reason I'm a little surprised is because I only heard about the three finalists. So... Gates had originally gotten votes, but then they didn't list him because he wasn't one of the top three. Is that what happened? Correct. What happens is, yes, you're looking at they give you the three finalists, but people still get votes outside of the three finalists. Boy, I applaud the guys who voted for Nick Gates. I really do. You know how I think they do it? And I I may be mistaken. And no votes for Brian Robinson. I have to let me check Brian Robinson. I'm just looking at shot for God's sake. I think as a rookie, it might not. You might not fall into the criteria. That's a good point. I, I well, guess. once again, I just read the criteria, Pierce, and it didn't say anything about how many years you're in the league. But once again, how does somebody come back if yeah. they weren't in the NFL? So it's a fair point. By yeah. default, I don't even know if they would give him a chance to appear on the ballot. Yeah, maybe not. But what I was getting at is, all right, Pearson, you got me on a technicality. Maybe Brian Robinson would not belong, but I'm not backing off Nick Gates. No, and I completely understand where you're coming from. But what I was getting at was because it it doesn't make necessarily sense with what you're saying. You have the three finalists, so then why are we seeing other people get votes? What I think the AP does is the AP calculates the vote. 
they give you the top three finishers. And don't tell you about the Correct. Others. There are other people that receive votes, okay. but they just want to narrow it down to the three finalists. Because, for example, with Coach of the Year, Nick Sirianni was not one of the three finalists. And a lot of people are like, well, what's going on? I think it wasn't disrespect to Nick Sirianni. It was the fact that he didn't make the top three. By the way, list, list the uh, second and third runners up after uh, Dable. Dable wins it. I believe Shanahan finished second, correct? Yeah, that one I have the actual vote in front of me. So Dable was 123 total points. Shanahan was second at 100, and Doug Peterson was 75. And Peterson. Which were the three that we had pretty much brought up Well, because on the show. those finalists had been announced. Correct, but even before the finalists were announced, okay. we were also discussing Shanahan and Peterson at great Well, you had to. We, yeah. we, we kind of thought there was many as six coaches who yeah. probably had a legitimate gripe. And Sirianni was fifth. McDermott okay. was right after Doug Peterson in fourth. Excuse Mc, me. Um, McDermott was, yeah, McDermott was fourth and Sirianni four, was fifth. So yeah. McDermott ahead of Dan Campbell, who certainly yeah, should Dan Campbell wound up finishing seventh. He was behind Kevin O'Connell. Really? Yep. And you could argue, yeah, wow. Campbell probably deserves, I would put Dan Campbell ahead of Sean McDermott and ahead of Kevin O'Connell. I probably would have too. Yeah. I mean, you could convince me after what the the Bills had to go through with Hamlin, you could probably sell me on McDermott being being high. You okay, probably I could. get that, you know. But you know, now we're really taking into consideration things that have nothing to do necessarily with the X's and O's. What's weird is the Bills kind of had a down year. Didn't they, they did. They absolutely had a down well, yeah, year, especially I mean, due to some injuries where they weren't able to overcome it. But then again. You know, when I talk about a head coach, uh, it's never been more apparent in this game today that the X's and O's are a smaller percentage than they've ever been before because of all the things that head coaches have to navigate sure. in our society in 2022. So I would have to take the other things into consideration. So the, the Hamlin issue would be part of, of the argument for McDermott if you were to talk to me about it. And I'm sure that's why he received as many votes as yeah. he did because McDermott yeah. wound up with 48 points ahead of Nick Sirianni. I think a lot of people took into consideration what happened at the tail end of the season with DeMar Hamlin. And, and I get that. Mm -hmm. But also in fairness, though, and this is why subjectivity is the best way to describe the voting process, right? We could sit down with 10 people who cover the NFL we're going to have 10 different perspectives on how they would vote for Coach of the Year, right? I would say how late it came in the year, there were so many other things that these other coaches had to deal with. Right. Are we classifying it what you did in the final four games of the season? Or are we looking at actually the complete year and how you went about your business? So when I take that into consideration, and that would be important to me, I would not put McDermott as high. Not to say what he had to deal with wasn't noteworthy. But it happened so late in the season, by that time, I would argue, a lot of these other coaches had to deal with far more elements. Was there, was there any uh, indication as to the date that the votes had to be in by? Because it only did qualify for the regular season. Correct. It, yes, postseason post has, no post no has no bearing. Postseason has no bearing on it. It's a regular season. Correct. Order. Correct. So I'm going to assume that these votes had to be in before the wild card round started. But I, I believe so. Yeah. Excuse me, but I don't know the deadline for that. Well, I'm not 100% sure. I'll see whether or not we could get confirmation on that. But if it wasn't prior to the wild card round, we're still talking about maybe week 16, week 17. Yeah. Because let's face it, McDermott, if he got heavy consideration because of the DeMar Hamlin, it was clearly after 
the Demar Hamlin. See, you know where it gets tricky for me. If they say it's only for the regular season, but the voting actually goes through the first round of the playoffs, and they say, well, you can't consider that. You know, sometimes that will happen. The deadline sure. will actually be beyond what you're supposed to consider. And human nature, a lot of times, oh. will allow something to bleed into your decision-making. 100%. Yeah. So that's why I'm a little bit curious as to when the deadline was for the voting. But short of being able to uh, to identify that, I guess the point's kind of moot because we're not going to be able to pin that down. No, but you're right. You're allowing them that's why i would not allow them to do it after the regular season because you don't want them to take into consideration anything that may happen within the human post-season. nature will do that 100 okay human nature will do that and i and i yep. joked and i i thought shanahan coached a horrible playoff game and i told you i told you that sure but it should have no bearing it of should course. have no bearing yep. but I was very, very, very vocal. I thought he coached a horrible playoff game, did a terrible job schematically, and him and his staff should not be able to hoist any awards <laughs> after what they did in that playoff game. It was offensive to me. In fact, if I were the general manager, boy, they would really get an earful after after how they butchered that playoff game. Well, uh, obviously a, a lot did not go according to plan, specifically in the quarterback Yeah, that's for sure. So, you know, that made it a little bit more challenging than perhaps he would have anticipated. I'm on the AP page, and they announce when the NFL Honors event is taking place. They talk about how 50 voters and how it's been handed out since 1957. For some wild reason, they do not announce on this what the deadline is to vote. I don't know if they just don't want that Mm -hmm. publicly known or whatever it may be, but I'll continue to look Yeah, because you should— Give an indication to the public, right? How late the voters have. You should know. Vote. That should be. Let's have that. transparency. Sure. All right. So before yeah. we get to the next topic, which would be the the coaches uh, searching that the Giants obviously have an interest in. Uh, if I were to say to you, what was the one thing above and beyond that Brian Dable did this year that would have helped him win this award? Would you uh, Would you have an easy answer for that? Well, that's a good question. I would say his ability. And this is an extension also of his staff to overcome injuries on the roster and get players off the street, coach them up, and not just have them come here to sip a cup of coffee or tea, but be extremely productive. And we could point to numerous players, whether it be Isaiah Hodgins, Mm -hmm. Fabian Morrow, left and right. So that to me is the standout. And I know a lot of people may say, well, what he got out of Daniel Jones, I'd put this ahead of Daniel Jones. I totally concur with you. I think the fact that he was able to maximize value across the board with so many nondescript players to the point where this team was able to make the playoffs, uh, I would have to make that my top argument for giving Dable the award. And I just found it out. Voting occurs right after the regular season ends. It does. Yes. That's good. Right after the regular season ends, you put your votes in and that's it. So no extra considerations could have bled into those decisions. Yep. That's good. But... That would explain to me, I guarantee you, if you polled all of those voters and you said, where do you have Sean McDermott on your list for coach of the year? If it was like week 10, very different than how probably they viewed it week 16, probably. week 17. Yeah. So that would explain why he probably rose up in the wake of what happened with DeMar Hamlin. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have 
hair plugs. I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, hey, <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that saying? with Some everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. In terms of the voting, before I know we want to talk about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I would say the biggest surprise for me last night was Patrick Mahomes winning MVP and the margin in which he won. I thought Jalen Hurts made an extremely strong case for the award. You could say others as well. But it's one thing to say, okay, Mahomes won the award, but Mahomes, he ran laps around Jalen Hurts. Yeah. The final vote was 490 to like 193 or something. It was insane. Patrick Mahomes, Paul, got 48 first place votes. Jalen Hurts got one. Mm-hmm. I would love to know why the voters. I understand, okay, Mahomes is going to be in the conversation. No Tyreek Hill. Chiefs, everybody doubted them. I get all that. But why doesn't Hurts get more consideration? That was a bit baffling to me. You know, uh, we had this conversation off the air, and my comment to you was, I've been saying for a long time now, last month or so, that Justin Jefferson would have been my top vote. Who did win Offensive Player of the Year. I think taking him off the Vikings, they're not even close to being a playoff team. And and I, I do think that MVP talks about the impact that a guy had on his team, and Jefferson had a huge impact on the Vikings. But he wound up, as you said, with the Offensive Player of the Year, so he did get something. Yep. I, if if you could have told me that he was going to get that, I could have moved off him, and I probably would have voted for Joe Burrow, as I said to you earlier. Uh, I don't I don't think this was Mahomes' best year, and I quite honestly don't think that that Kansas City... I mean... Is that team that much different, whether or not he's the quarterback or just another good, high-caliber, quality quarterback is playing? I don't know that he put that team on his shoulders enough of times this year where I could have made him the difference maker, the MVP of the league. I'm completely with you. Right? I think the other wide receivers did a nice job filling in for Tyreek Hill. I don't think most people talk about that. I agree with you. Right? You know, Juju... Valdez Scantling, Jarek McKinnon, you know, all new faces were very productive. I would have taken that into consideration. Here's the other well, thing. Well, they even got a big uh, late season surge out of Pacheco in the running Correct. game. Correct. Yeah. They're Rutgers running back in the seventh round. Yeah. So all of those pieces, that's a big reason why Tyreek Hill wasn't a center point of the dialogue. With respect to the MVP award, and I think this is what you were alluding to, more often than not, we always hear, well, if you take player A off of the team, right, what happens to the team, which is exactly what you were getting at. Well, Jalen Hurts missed two games, so we actually saw how the Eagles offense operated, more so than any of the other candidates. That's another reason why I thought the voters would say, well, I don't have to have the hypothetical. We saw two games without Jalen Hurts, and granted, the Eagles... They did lose both of those games. The game against the Cowboys, they scored nearly 40, so it's not like the offense fell off a cliff, but the 
balance, the dynamics of the offense did change since you didn't have Jalen Hurts in the rushing attack. My counter to that, and I think you have a good point, but my counter is I'm thinking the Eagles would have made the playoffs regardless of whether or not Jason Hurt, uh, Jason Hurts question. was quarterback. Yeah. So, so to me, I don't think the Vikings make the playoffs without Jefferson. I think the Eagles do without Hurts. So that's how I would have differentiated the two if I had a vote. No, and I get that. Once again, it goes back to you look at previous MVP winners, though. I just don't think that was much of the thought process for the voters. I just think they look at the guy with the best touchdowns. Oh, and they love, they, they love quarterbacks. Yeah, they well, do. I mean, quarterbacks, you look at the list more often than they not. They love them. They win. Yeah. They love them. That's and that's why I think the Offensive Player of the Year award exists. 100 so, so percent probably MVP to mostly quarterbacks. well right. last year was another perfect example Cooper Cup won offensive right. player of the year right. and he had an outstanding season the guy won the triple crown <laughs> so mm-hmm. if that's not good enough to win MVP and Aaron Rodgers won MVP so yes I think that's a big reason why they brought that but award. again even without Cup I think last year's Rams team makes the playoffs I really do well, I mean, I really do. Look at what happened to the Rams team this year. I mean, I know they lost Matthew uh, Stafford, but whoo. No, yeah, diff- different, yeah. different, different, different. Was Adrian you know, Peterson the last MVP that wasn't a quarterback? None. That's a good question. I'd have to bring up. Mm, I mean, he's not somebody sure, that comes to mind. Uh, certainly comes to mind. Yeah. He probably well, was. I'll bring up the list. I mean, I know Mahomes, by oh, the way, a is it? A- uh, Aaron, Aaron Donald? Did he get one? Well, Donald won defensive, defensive player. Defensive player. Yeah, yeah, he didn't win. I don't think he got I don't MVP. Think MVP. Oh, I'm bringing up the list right now. Peterson won it in 2012. Since then, it's been all quarterbacks. Okay. And then prior to Peterson, Ladanian Tomlinson, another running back, 2006. Right. And then Sean Alexander won it in 05. So we actually had back-to-back running backs. Since mm-hmm. then, yeah, it's been the majority of quarterbacks. But what I was going to mention was Mahomes, the 10th player to win at least two MVPs. Hmm. So that's interesting. And no surprise, the majority of them are all quarterbacks, with the exception, of course, of Jim Brown. Right. Johnny Unitas, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, you name it. Joe Montana, Steve Young. See yeah. if I missed anybody. Because well, I <laughs> the reason why is I, I was doing some homework. It just it's always that interesting. That leads well into the Hall of Fame conversation, doesn't it? It, it does. It actually it's a beautiful <laughs> transition. But I want to give my respect to the group of guys. I just want to make sure Kurt Warner, Brett Favre. That rounds okay. out the 10. So there's yeah. everybody. Now, to the Hall of Fame, nine individuals going in, seven on the defensive side of the ball. This is a very heavy yes. defensive class. But just goes to show you, by the way, how challenging it is to get in. Devin Hester has yet to get in. One of the best return men did not get in this year in this class. And, oh, by the way, Antonio Gates is going to be eligible next year. And before you know it, we're going to have Brady. So it gets more and more challenging. But... The group overall, you got Darrell Rivas, you got Joe Klecko. So the Jets have a lot of representation. DeMarcus Ware, Zach Thomas. Thomas finished his career with Dallas, but obviously he's known for being with the Miami Dolphins. Ken Riley, Chuck Howley, another Cowboy. Don Coriel on the offensive side of the ball, the great coach. And Joe Thomas, Browns offensive lineman. And Rondé Barber finally getting in, and deservedly so, because he was part of those great Bucks defenses. He was another guy that it seemed like was going on forever and mm-hmm. ever. So I'm happy to see that he finally is getting his due on the national stage. I'll give you two thoughts. Number one, Joe Klecko. So happy for him. Joe Klecko, uh, who made the, the Pro Bowl as a nose tackle, a defensive tackle in a 4-3, and also as a defensive end. To me, it was criminal that they made him wait like they did. 
He should have been in years ago. And every time the Giants and Jets play in the preseason, I would always commiserate with Marty Lyons, who played on the sack exchange defense. Radio line color of the commentator Jets. on the Jets broadcast. Right. And I'd see Marty every every August, and we would sit and talk for a couple minutes, and we would always just like you know, wring our hands. Klecko still not in. Somehow gotta get him in there. So I'm happy for Joe. Uh Jersey guy, by the way. Lives down in South Jersey. Uh, and then the second thing I would say, um, and I, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know if you'll you'll necessarily agree with this or not because it's kind of a hard thing to delineate. But the special teams folks get so cheated in oh, terms well, that's of why I brought up Hester. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if there shouldn't be a category for them because. A guy like Hester, who was just the most explosive kick returner you'd ever going to find. I mean, I think about, you know, Emlyn Tunnell. I think about uh, Deion Sanders. I think about Devin Hester. These guys were like the elite of the elite of kickoff return guys. I mean, there have been only a handful of these folks who over the course of 100 years of pro football was so incredibly electric that over the course of their careers, teams were afraid of them. I mean, there's not a whole lot of those guys. Of all the guys who have ever returned kicks and punts in this league, there's only a handful where you could say coaches were scared of those guys. To me... I don't know if it's fair to lump them in in the same pool as all these other players at other positions because they're easily going to be overlooked by a guy who had 100 sacks or a quarterback who threw 250 touchdown passes. How is a kick returner like Devin Hester supposed to compete against a quarterback who's won two MVPs or a defensive uh, tackle or lineman or linebacker who's had 100 sacks? How do you equate that? And I think, you know, it's unfair to a guy like Hester because he's got no chance up against those other guys. No, I'm completely with you. I just, I don't see them doing a situation where they have one spot every year for a special teamer. Because I know. My argument would be there's going to be some years where it doesn't justify. Well, but do you have to? You know, do you have to? Like with baseball, they'll say, you know, you don't have to vote for a minimum number of guys. In yeah. baseball, they say you, it comes up for vote. And if nobody gets votes, nobody goes in. So maybe you have a special team spot, and maybe if nobody gets enough votes that year, nobody gets in. Is that is that a no, crime? You could do something like that. That's fine. For example, in baseball, 75% you have to meet. So you say, right. okay, this is the special team nominee. Let's everybody vote and then see if he can meet the threshold. I they mean, could do something like how that. How in the world are you and I supposed to sit here and debate the value of a kicker, a punter, or return guy against that list. How oh, of can course, you do yeah. that? Well, that's why I brought up it gets more and more difficult because think about this. Brady and J.J. Watt retired this year. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, Aaron Rodgers retires. I don't think he will, but let's throw him in there. Okay. So those three guys are going to be first eligible. Ballot. But they're going to be eligible in the same year. And they're first so, ballot. So can you imagine, Paul, you've been waiting and waiting. You get to 2028. Okay. Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and J.J. Well, Watt. Well, those are three spots gone. Through. Yeah, but, they're gone. But that's what I'm talking about. Already now you've reduced the amount of guys who can get in. And that happens, though, more often than not every year, right? Because somebody new and inspiring becomes eligible. How are they supposed to compete with that? You can't. 
So, That's the unfortunate part. You know, so I just I just wonder, you know, if there's any way, and I'm, I'm not saying that my suggestion's right, but I just wonder if there's a way to somehow allow these special teams players to get legitimate consideration because I think under the current system, the way <laughs> it is Eagles. now. Yeah. Yes. Well, clearly. Pearson, I've been saying this for years. Jeff Fegels absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. So does Sean Landetta. And quite frankly, you can make a strong case for Dave Jennings too. I mean, and there's plenty of kickers. Those are just punters we talked about. Yeah. These guys were the elite of the elite of their craft. And they can't get recognized because they're putting in this they're putting the same pot as a quarterback, a wide receiver, or a running back at a defensive end. I does I I don't. Somebody's got to explain to me how that's fair. Well, it's not. That would be my answer. It's just they'd have to do a separate classification. To your point, but they would have to have a very high standard to get in. Because I don't think you want to put somebody in for the sake of putting somebody in. You want to give it careful consideration. But if you're putting somebody on an island, you need to make a percentage number where okay, you're really doing your due diligence through the voting process, and mm-hmm. they met and they went above and beyond that standard. That to me is maybe the best compromise for you to go about your business because, yeah, it's going to be impossible for a kicker and a punter to get in if you're adding more wide receivers, more quarterbacks, more linebackers. Every year, you bring in somebody of dominant fashion. Right. They're not going to outperform them in the eyes of the voter. There's no way a special teams guy is going to outdo a superstar positional player. That's impossible. See, Dion was a corner, so Dion wasn't hurt. I know you brought his name up, and... Listen, he was a great special well, team. Because as a special teams guy, he was no, but Hall of what, Fame but caliber. what I'm saying is he helped his cause enough with no what he question. did on the defensive side of the ball. No question. Whereas a guy like Devin Hester wasn't really known for being a wide receiver that made consistent explosive plays. The guy was known for his returns. So that's all you're judging him for. What else does he have to lean on? That's well, what only two kickers are in the Hall of Fame. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Anderson and Jan Stenerud. Stenerud. Jan Jan Stenerud. Adam Vinatieri is eligible in 2025. Well, yes. Vinatieri is going in. There's no doubt. Um, right. I, I so hope there's going to be three. But what happens when the ballot is stuffed with all those guys? Sure. And yeah. Oh, sorry, you can't go. Well, and Ray Guy was the punter yes. that got in. Yes. So, you know, it's a uphill battle for punters and kickers because there's such a small percentage. First of all, there's such a small percentage in society of individuals that kick in the NFL, right? Then you talk about of that group, how many get into the Hall of Fame? And we're talking about minute. Well, here's the problem. If the Pro Football Hall of Fame is reserved for the elite and people can identify someone who was elite at their position, why shouldn't they be in the hall? Well, no disagreement for me. I mean, right? But it's- Because by definition, if you're not in the hall, then you weren't elite. But that's not fair to guys who played a position that doesn't get recognized. Yeah. Well, and that's why anyway. special teamers have it rougher than others because they have to, first of all, prove and justify their value on the team, it seems. Then you have to take into consideration, did they do it at an elite level? And then maybe they get a seat at the table. For example, a wide receiver doesn't have to sell himself with respect to his value to the team, right? A quarterback doesn't have to do that. A kicker and a punter, they have to do that first and then climb up the next part of the ladder. So there are no magical numbers, right? According to public perception for special teams guys. Sure. Yeah. Right. 
you could say quarterback has to throw, you know, for 250 touchdown passes. There's or barometers. Running, running, right, yeah. running back has to have a minimum of 12,000 rushing yards or whatever it is. There are numbers, certain magical numbers that almost prompt people to consider a player at other positions. Absolutely. But for kickers, what what is the criteria? People don't sit around saying, well, let's see, if he made uh, 90% of his field goals over a 12-year career, then he must be considered elite. Or if he punted for 15 years and he was among the top five leaders every year. I mean, there's no there's no kind of litmus test or number criteria for special teams guys. Well, and some people may look at it like a guy like Vinatieri just came through clutch, had one big kick after another. So that would be something that maybe they would take into consideration. Also with punting, Remember, hang time wasn't necessarily something that people took into consideration. That was even, you know, when Ray Guy was playing, hang time wasn't necessarily a big topic of conversation. So, yeah, it's not easy, and it's not going to get any easier when you look at some of the guys that are going to be eligible in the next few years. All right, a few reminders before we open up the lines. You can check out the Giants Huddle podcast. Subscribe. It features many different interviews over the course of the offseason on a variety of different topics. And you can get it on your favorite podcast platform. Listen on the Giants app as well as Giants.com slash podcast. As we look ahead to the 2023 campaign, Giants fans, take your fandom to the next level. Season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 campaign. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings you original video content, game highlights on demand, and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right, let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. Marty is in Manahawk, and he joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Marty? Hey, good afternoon, Lance. Good afternoon, Paul. Hi. Same to you. What, what do you got for I, us, Marty? Uh, I've been reading uh, the some of the writers have been talking about uh, Wink Martindale, and they're saying that uh, correct. You know, he's there's a possibility he's going to go to the Colts, but no. Well, well, let me let me yeah, Marty. Let me just jump in because we were actually going to get to this earlier, yeah. and we jumped the gun with a lot of other topics. There are multiple reports this morning that Wink Martindale has been notified that he's no longer in consideration for the Colts job. So based on those reports, and considering he did not interview anywhere else. He will be returning for the 2023 campaign as the Giants' defensive coordinator. Oh, that's well. Uh, that's good news, bad for him, but uh, good news for us. I was just curious, though. They kept stressing the fact that he had a three-year contract. Now, if he was to get that job, does that mean that there's like compensation involved, or uh, like draft picks, or, or no, anything like it, that? That doesn't extra? work. No, anything. If you hire an assistant that has a pre-existing lengthy contract. I mean, that's at the discretion of the team, how they want to work out the money. But no, the other team does not get anything in return, to answer your question. Okay, and the other thing I have was, what's your feelings on uh, the Morris Smith uh, going out there and saying he wants to do away with the uh, combine? Yeah, those were interesting comments. And Marty, appreciate the phone call. Thanks for giving us a ring here. I don't know if you saw those comments, Paul. It was about maybe a day or two ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, his main ammunition behind that, and keep in mind, Demora Smith represents the union. He's looking out for the players. You always need to take that into consideration. But his issue is he feels as if 
it's utilized as a tool for teams to ask questions that put players in precarious spots. He wasn't looking at it as it hurts players or it puts them in a bad situation because they're showing their talents and their athleticism. He has a problem with the interview aspect of the combine. That was, to me, the biggest takeaway of his commentary. But see, I was under the understanding that the league recently, now this was only a few weeks ago, uh, had made an announcement that they were going to be more specific in terms of the guidelines of the those type interviews of questions that you could ask. Yes. So that his complaint would be kind of immaterial because they kind of bit that thing or nipped it in the bud and said, you know, we have had some instances the last couple of years where teams may have asked, quote, inappropriate questions, whatever that might be. And that uh, we're going to tell teams you have to kind of stay within certain guidelines now so that these players don't get offended. Well, once the league came out and said that, uh, it was recently, I can't remember the date. To me, when I saw Demora Smith's comments, I'm like, well, what's he talking about? The league's already addressed it. Unless he's still getting feedback from players. Remember, he is interacting with them on a consistent basis where they're telling him there may be new guidelines, but we're still being asked questions that well, put us in a uncomfortable spot. But the combine isn't until the last week of February. So why don't we go through a combine with the new regulations before we complain about well, them? But I believe those new regulations you're talking about, Paul, have been in place for at least a year or two, if memory serves me correctly. That wasn't well, something they implemented this offseason. No, but, but the league... If, if they had not adjusted the language, I believe they increased the emphasis on keeping things within certain boundaries. I know that the, the league addressed this just No, it absolutely recently. was addressed. Absolutely. So sure. it could be one of those things where, all right, it was on paper, but we're now going to make sure we really make sure we get this thing right. Uh, look, I, all I'm saying is uh, the Combine, it has grown into such a marketing tool. For the National Football League, and quite frankly, it's also a huge marketing tool for the players because the publicity that these top— Oh, my God, the publicity that these players get, even some of the dark horses who suddenly become household names because the guy blew up the combine and did 50 lifts— you know, on 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 the weight uh, on the weight bar, yep. or he ran a he ran a four two three. Oh my God! All of a sudden, now everybody knows this guy. So there's there's a lot of stuff that's gained here on both sides of the fence. I don't see it going away. No, I'm with you. I don't see it going away either because I was going to say I think the NFL looks at it as a marketable situation. Also, the NFL, remember, purposely has laid out events every single month throughout the offseason. Yes. So they did that so that there's something to talk about Correct. every single month. I don't think they would want to remove something from the calendar in February. And if the combine was to be eliminated, let's go down that hypothetical road, to me that would have to be something that would be worked out as part of the new CBA where yeah. the players and the union would come to the forefront and say, hey, this is a non-negotiable type of situation. I don't think it would be something where they just met some random offseason. And if and his gripe is about the interviews, well, I've got news for you, my man. The fact of the matter is, today, in this society, there's a tremendous amount of research that has to be done on all of these prospects. And it goes far beyond the X's and the O's and the testing scores during the events that they hold in Indianapolis. Every team now is vetting these guys very, very thoroughly. 
So if you really believe that a team is going to use a draft pick, especially a number one pick on a guy who they can't put through the car wash of an interview process, you're out of your mind. There's, there's too much money involved that you're investing in that pick without finding out what this guy's about. It's not going to happen, Lance. Sure. No, all fair points and all valid. The other thing that I was going to just bring up as a side note could you operate? I mean, even if you went down the road, you eliminated the combine. They have the pro days. So teams would still have access, right, to work out players. But you'd have to have then the opportunity to allow the players to then meet with those teams at the pro day, right? Because that's what you get out of the way at the combine. I mean, you're going to still have the designated opportunities to bring players into your facility, right? You're still going to have that. So you'll be able to watch them at their pro day, but you still may want another interview setting at the pro day. You'd have to still find a way to tweak something. I'll make this real simple for you. The Giants have already said, I believe Joe Shane himself said, that he wants Brian Dable to at least have access to every single player on the Giants draft board. Well, if you're only getting a couple of dozen, quote, personal visits from prospects. Yeah, because there's limitations. That's a fraction of the amount of guys who you might consider picking in the draft. That's not going to fly. Well, it's teams are not going to do the that. Combine. Yeah, teams, right? teams are not going to do that. Well, because you bring a good portion of your staff, right? They're all yes. in the same room. Can you imagine? You'd have to bring everybody with you to every pro day. It's, 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 it would be it's a not going to happen. Yeah, that's it's why. Not going to happen. That's why I don't see the NFL being even open. Forget the marketability standpoint. I don't think the teams would digest the fact that they have to now reinvent the every offseason. player who's picked in this draft is an investment. Okay, and what do you do if you, if you go to the financial district and go to Wall Street? And you're going to buy a, a mutual fund or a stock. You're going to make an investment. You do your research. Okay? You don't just go there. Oh, I'll sure. take that one. You do research. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano. And we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Six Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have ticked it off? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what so, I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps both the team anyway. and the players. It's beneficial for both sides, you can make an argument. Not necessarily one versus the other. Let's head back to the lines. we got Mike in Atlanta joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Mike? Hey, guys. One Hi. quick comment to add on to the DeMora Smith situation. Um, and then I'm going to ask my question really fast, but just a comment. He, they, he also said that the combine devalues the value of players because they're looking for injuries in the nitpick, which drives down individual players' values. I'm not saying he has a point, but 
he did say that as well. Well, but here's the thing. If you're saying they're looking for injuries, I mean, first of all, guys that are banged up don't take part in the combine to begin with because they wait till they're fully mm-hmm. healthy. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. And then number two, I think more questions are brought to the forefront if a guy doesn't get a certain number on one of those tests as opposed to how can you indicate a guy is injury prone if he takes part in the combine? I just, I don't, that point, I don't necessarily see coming through in what he's campaigning for. Well, they have the exams at the combines, which sure. if they do this regional approach, there'd be no exams. But every every injury is known. I mean, yeah, colleges. Yeah. The entire injury history is known. Well, but but Mike, what we're saying is, is that if you didn't have the combine, teams would still go to the pro days and they would demand access to at least look at the player and get those measurements. So all you're doing is you're creating more of an issue for teams to gather that intel. They're not going to say, well, we don't need the info anymore. They're still going to find a way to gather the info. They're just going to have to go about it a different a way. A team is That's not all. going to invest yeah. a draft pick in a player, especially a high draft pick, if they don't have his medicals. How would you feel, my man, if you went into a new car dealership and you bought a car you thought was new, but then when you took it off the showroom floor, you found out it had 8,000 miles on it? <laughs> That's not a surprise you want to hear about, right? No, I, I agree, Paul. You're preaching to the choir. All I'm adding is he did have a financial point he was making. That's all I'm, I'm adding to that. Well, no, I, and I get that, but I, I just I don't think it carries a lot of weight, his financial point, based on what we just mentioned. Neither do I. Yeah, especially since yeah. draft picks are now slotted with certain prices, you know, during the course of the, the first and second round. I mean, there's not a lot of flexibility now in, in, in moving around those numbers. The slots pretty much tell you what you're going to get based on where you're slotted. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Okay, so so now to my question, which is what I really wanted to ask. And Lance, I enjoyed our conversation uh, around Daniel Jones the other day a lot, so thanks for that. But I wanted to get your take this to the next step and get your opinion on something else, and Paul's opinion. So the next step, obviously, is free agency. So for the sake of this question and exercise, let's assume that Daniel Jones signs a contract with the Giants and they have plenty of cap room in free agency. Now, I was looking at the cap room of all 32 teams in future years, and you made a point yesterday, which I think a lot falls on a lot of deaf ears, that even though the cap is going up over the next two years, the players are going to get a lot of that money. And realistically, there's not going to be a ton of extra money for the teams to spend. So with that in mind, over the next two years, basically every team in the league has plenty of cap room. So the Giants are going to have to compete heavily against all the teams the next two years because everyone's getting that get-out-of-jail-free card. So my question is, knowing that, and knowing that half the teams in the league this year are over the cap. There's 14 teams that are presently today over the cap. Dallas is a mess, by the way. Yeah, but they're all going to have to get under the cap by the start of the new league year. So, you know, some of that's irrelevant because it's going to drastically change. Well, no, this is the point of my question, where it brings the relevancy in. So assuming you're going to have a ton of players hit the open market because they're cut this year, it, does it behoove the Giants to have a free agency strategy this year where they go after as many guys as they can this year, offer them three-year deals, which do not pay a lot this year, but are heavily backloaded 
in 24 and 25 when there's more cap room so they could squeeze more free agents in this year? And I'll take your answer off the air. All right, Mike. Appreciate the phone call. Well, my first response, Paul, would be it depends on who the player is. To give a generic answer like that, you don't go after free agents for the sake of going after free agents. You have to value the player, and the player has to warrant a three-year deal potentially. So I don't know who's going to be let go right before the start of the league year. If there's somebody that's appealing who may be young and has upside and is not that far removed from the draft, sure. I would entertain it, but if we're talking about there were a few veterans that were let go and it's going to be a rental to begin with, I'd rather invest in the youth and bring in draft picks and have those guys develop as opposed to eating up a roster spot for somebody that's more at the tail end of their career. The call is actually stating a rationale that already exists, though, because when teams sign free agents nowadays— they usually do backload the contracts and they've got the bonus money in there and they want to spread things out. And what do they do? They try to make the first year or two as small a cap hit as possible because they want the bigger hit to be on the backside for two reasons. A, they want the player now and they need to fit them in at a smaller number. And B, because there's always the hope and the expectation that in ensuing years, the cap will increase and you might have the ability then to finagle, readjust, or even leave that guy's contract as it is because you won't be in cap hell. As the numbers go up, you might be able to breathe with the back end of his contract and allow him to stay. So the rationale you're explaining, yes, there's logic behind that, but it's already part of the process. Sure. Well, and also it gives you the flexibility to swallow the contract, too, if you decide to cut the player. Yes, Because you have too. more wiggle room under yes. those circumstances. I agree. Yeah, I think that's the generic process that we see across the league. I was referencing the other day when everybody talks about the cap goes up, contracts are relative to the cap, Paul. That was my point. Meaning if you start infusing $30 more million into everybody's cap, quarterbacks are going to now make more money. Wide receivers are going to make more money. It's not oh, as the if, quarterbacks will try to take all of it, though, because well, that's what they do. Yeah, but the, the point is everybody's contracts are going to go up. So it's not as if everybody gets infused with so much more cap space where now you could squeeze in and bid what, for an extra great play. What will happen is in that particular year when the cap takes a big hike, whatever premium free agents are available at premium positions – those are the guys who are going to try to reset the market by absorbing as much of that cap space as they can get their exactly. hands on. Yeah. No, 100%. So the quarterbacks that year, they're not stupid. They're going to be aware of how much money now, is being thrown into the if pot. If it's a bad quarterback free agent class, then maybe it's the cornerbacks who were up that year. If that's a better class, then those are the guys who are going to try True. to soak up as much of that room as they can. It's, it's whatever position group has the premium players the year that the cap jumps. Those are the folks who are going to try to get their hands on every cent that they can and raise the market for that particular position. It's no different than the NBA. We've seen years in the NBA, right? A free agent group hits the market. More money gets thrown into the cap. All of a sudden, these deals are through the roof. It's all about Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. Well, that's why I don't read so much into... No, 100%. Yes, as you continue to bring in some quotations from film and so forth. uh, Michael Douglas and... I didn't go to food. Well, no. Aren't you happy? No, you're broadening your horizons (laughs) and expanding. I appreciate that. Lance had a good one for you yesterday. 
How's that? Oh, the uh, TV show reference yeah. you're referring to? No, we were going over to the free agents that are set to hit the market. Not the Giants, across the league, position yes. by position. So John brought up perhaps bringing back Lorenzo Carter, yes. who was here, who went to Atlanta. Yes. So I said, welcome back, Carter. That's what... Welcome back. Okay, so you understand, yes. The dreams are you. <laughs> oh, well, you see? We, welcome we figured... Back. John said, if I would have brought it up with you, I probably would have got a reaction like there that. There you go. So there we go. There so you go. Pearson reminded us, and the rest is history as a result. Mr. Carter. Yes. Well, John was arguing that it doesn't fit. I was like, well, of course it doesn't fit. I'm not saying, unless you find the guy, Lorenzo Carter, okay, that is going to be uh, playing in the NFL. So it was a uh, play on words from that standpoint. Or Shaq could be the trainer. Yes, another <laughs> reference. The younger crew that's watching the show, I don't know if they're they have no picking idea. up on this. Yes, exactly. All right, let's head back to the Lions. We got Jerome in Charlotte joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Jerome? Hi, guys. Love the show. Um, Thanks for tuning in. L- Lawrence Taylor, uh, MVP also. Y'all left him out. Well, I didn't go that far back. Yeah, he didn't go back. Yeah, I, I stopped in the early 2000s. That's where we were going. Oh, Okay. But, uh, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have let him do that. I would never let him forget LT. No, Taylor was eighty six. He but, was the but MVP. He, he yes. didn't go back that far. I didn't go so, that far. Yeah. So I allowed him to live. Well, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> let, let, let's add some context to the conversation. Yes, I was very worried. I wasn't going to make it out of the studio. Let me make that clear. Pearson brought up the fact that it's been a while since yes. somebody who yes. wasn't a quarterback won the award. Correct. Adrian Peterson was brought up. And then I was curious, prior to Adrian Peterson, who was the last one? And that's where we left the conversation. Go ahead, sir. Yes. Okay. Um, I was wondering, um, with, with um, Adoree Jackson, the other uh, big big money uh, contracts we, we that we do have, you know, I know Galloway on his way out. But, Galloway, um, yeah. Do you think do you think um, they can like renegotiate with them to uh, free up money so we can sign uh, not only the draft class but also um, <clears throat> some of our own top prospects? Uh, the most likely candidate for a redo is Leonard Williams, yeah. who's on the cap for I think thirty-two million this year. He's already said he'll redo his deal and. Again, depending upon what you believe his definition is of a pay cut, he has said he would do that. He wants to play several more years with Dexter Lawrence, who he views is like a brother to him. And so that's the big deal. That's the the number one contract you're going to target if you're looking to redo it. And he'll get an extension of probably two or three years, and they'll get his cap number down. Avoidable years, perhaps, could be it. Could be. has a high number on him. Who's that? Um, Adoree. Adoree. Well, I mean, keep in mind, you got to be careful with how many players you renegotiate yeah. with. It's going to come back to bite you, Jerome. This money doesn't disappear and no. go into La La no, Land. it okay? does not. You know, you're eventually going to have to pay the piper. It's called kicking the can down the road. Right. That's what they call it's it. It's a credit card. Yes, exactly. So you're going to have to pay it back. And I think with what Joe Shane had to go through, right, to clean things up, I don't know if he's going to want to now adopt a plan which then presents history repeating itself, even if it's three or four years down the road. So you've got to be careful with that. It does not appear to be a tasty solution for him. 
It 100%. really doesn't. Yeah. Also, also with the fact that they are going to have a little bit more wiggle room in comparison to what he walked into, mm-hmm. there may not be a need to do that, especially, once again, if they're not going to be ultra-aggressive in free agency and the priority is take care of our own, then there may not be a need, Paul, I'll tell to you one tweak thing, everybody's contract. One thing to keep in mind as the Giants enter free agency this year, yes, they've got a lot more room. Yes, they do have to use a whole bunch of that money for their own guys. But let's not forget how good this team did with no-name players who were extremely cheap because the coaching staff coached them up and because the personnel department identified those kinds of guys. Now, maybe they hit lightning in a bottle. Maybe they'll never be as successful as they were this year with back-of-the-depth chart guys giving them production. But, but just maybe, this is something that they're really good at. And maybe they sign a whole bunch of cheap, nondescript free agents this year who turn out to be productive players. It's all encouraging, and I think more of an emphasis on why the draft. You can also find quality talent in yeah. the later rounds and develop those players and the guys they're going to get back who missed time due to injury last season. What else you got for us, John? Um, one more quick question. Um, the June 1st cut, will we say more by cut, waiting to then to cut Galloway, and I'll take that off the air. Gotcha, Jerome. Appreciate the phone call. It's one thing. It's Galladay. If I hear Galloway... <laughs> <laughs> the hundredth time. Joey, We're making up names. Joey, Joey Galloway. Galloway Joey Galloway. Seattle yeah. and Dallas. He's done. Joey Galloway has Long not suited gone. up in the NFL Long for quite gone. some time. He's not wearing a Giants uniform. It's Galladay. We know who not he Galloway. means, though. No, I know. I just and, It was like yes. the third time he said it. I, I think I like, he's right. I think for from a business perspective, if the Giants are going to release uh, Kenny Galladay, it makes sense to make him a June 1st cut so they can spread out the money over the next two seasons. That, to me, makes the most sense. Anything that you can use within the CBA that could give you the flexibility to spread things out and maybe not take a massive hit immediately, especially if it's a year where you want to sign your own, Right, I'm all for that. And I remember, think that would be more likely than restructuring all these contracts. Especially when you consider they'll probably believe the cap's going to go up X number of dollars again in 2024. So if you're taking half of your Galladay cap hit and moving it to 2024, chances are you're in a better position to deal with it. Yeah, well, especially simultaneously if you can get also a lot of your own guys on the books. No doubt. So then you feel even better because you're not going to have to now re-sign all of these guys at this time next year, Mm -hmm. right? So then that gives you an opportunity to start targeting individuals outside of the organization. So I would say once again, I'm sure that may be something that's a tool the Giants can tap into and utilize more so than staring at everybody and saying, okay, we got to restructure this guy, that guy, and this guy, because, you know, that eventually will put you in a precarious spot years down the road. So all things to take into consideration. But right now, the Giants are celebrating Brian Dable winning coach of the year. They're also going to be turning their attention to, before you know it, a decision on the franchise tag because the calendar is going to move forward and the window is going to open up before you know it with respect to whether or not they are going to utilize any of the tags on one of their players, whether it be Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. few reminders, no shows next week as a number of people go on a bit of a hiatus, but we will be regrouped, recharged the Tuesday following President's Day. So it's slightly more than a week. That will be the first show after we're off for a little bit. And as I bring up the calendar, so that is going to be the 21st 
of February. Right. For those of you keeping tally. I know some of you circle dates because you're dying to know when Paul will be in front of the microphone. I did not want to disappoint anybody. <laughs> Just have a calendar and then rip the pieces of paper off each every day. And before you know it, February 21st is going to be here. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. At least that's what I'm told. And don't forget, you could always go to hashtag Giants Chat. Go to Lance Meadows' uh, Twitter page. I'm at Giants WFAN. If for some reason you get itchy and you want to talk about <laughs> some Giants news that's going on during the week, maybe an assistant coach stays, leaves, sure. whatever the case may be, you can always hit us up on Twitter. And stay locked to Giants.com because we will have continuous coverage on the team website as well. So that wraps up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere, as well as Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the weekend, enjoy the week, and we will speak to you on February 21st right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.